Well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. You can certainly follow on the screen behind me, but would love to have your Bible open so I can point out some things, turn to some different passages. After a week off last week, uh, we return this morning to our study uh, of the life of David. A study that uh, I just remind you uh, is not aimed at looking at every nook and cranny of David's life. We're not going to look at every text that speaks of David in First and Second Samuel. It's aimed at rather giving us an overview of his life, but even more importantly than an overview of David's life that maybe you just would bank in your, uh, in your brain We want to see the true hero that is found in the life of David. The true hero that is found in these extraordinary stories. The God who orchestrates. The God who sends Jesus. Just to briefly recap where we've been these previous four weeks. This is our fifth week in this study. Our introduction to David came as we saw this shepherd boy who was anointed a king to be. And soon after, David came to fame as the giant killer, right? The champion who found popularity and found friendship in Saul's very son, Jonathan. But all that fame... And that friendship have created a problem for David. And the problem is this, Saul the king wants him dead. What started as moodiness has now turned murderous, right? Saul is fixated on ridding himself of his perceived rival, David. And so as we pick up David's life this morning, we find that David is on the run, that David is alone, that David is a fugitive. And so listen as I read, I invite you as usual in honor of God's word to stand if you are able. 1 Samuel chapter 21, stand with me if you would. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of chapter 21, and then just the first few verses of chapter 22. Listen as I read. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling, and he said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, let No one know anything of this matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women... And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy and even when it is an ordinary journey, how much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. 
For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before him and he pretended to be insane in their hands and he made marks on the door of the gate and he let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hareth. This is the word of the Lord. No one likes to root for a guilty man who is running unjustly from the law. But for one that is innocent, whose pursuit itself is unjust, that's the kind of guy that we want to cheer for, right? There's a great movie that came out years ago, 1993. It was the movie The Fugitive. The title of our sermon here this morning. Harrison Ford plays Richard Kimball, a doctor who is wrongly accused of killing his wife, who through a series of events, <coughs> excuse me, finds himself on the run. And as this, this normal guy finds out, when you're on the run, you've got to keep moving. When you're on the run, you've got to rely on others in order to help you. That's what David's life is going to be about for the foreseeable future. 
That's some of what we see in this episode of David's life. And what I'd like for us to consider this morning is I'd like us to see some of ourselves in David's experience this morning. Oh, you may not be wandering. You aren't wandering in a literal wilderness, fearing for your life. But I suspect, no, I know that we all find ourselves in the wilderness. I know because I've been there myself. Discouraged. Alone. Or at least telling yourself that you're alone. Needy. Pastor Eugene Peterson writes this, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we aren't in control of our lives the way we were in our lamp-lit neighborhoods with well-marked streets and well-traveled sidewalks. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe wilderness is coming. Wherever you are, I want you to hear God's word this morning because it's a word about his help. It's a word about his care. And it's a word about his provision for those in the wilderness. Three things I want us to meditate on in this particular scene of David's life. And the first one is this. God's provision is found in the sanctuary. God's provision is found in the sanctuary. Picking up David's story where we left off a couple weeks ago. Remember, David had, had skipped this festival dinner that he was supposed to be at with King Saul, and he left his chair empty. And he left his chair empty because he was trying to feel out Saul's true intentions for him. As Saul became enraged at David's absence, Jonathan, David's best friend, warned his friend of the danger and they parted and David left the king's court and David left the king's house. David now knows that Saul will kill him on sight so he can't return. He can't go home. And so he begins to wander. And yet in the wandering, God will, will deal with him. God will provide. And it begins in the sanctuary. Now we don't know exactly why David heads here, but it's interesting that he does. And it seems like a good choice whether intentionally or not, by the time that he leaves. He goes to the city of Nob. Nob was about two miles away from Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, and it was the home of the tabernacle. And the home of Ahimelech, the priest who served in the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle, some of you will remember, the tabernacle was a mainstay of the wilderness wandering of the people of Israel. 
As the nation of Israel wandered in the literal wilderness towards the promised land, God prescribed that each time that they stopped, this elaborate tent would be set up. And you can read all about it. We're not gonna do that this morning. You can read all about it in the book of Exodus, Exodus 26. As God's people set up this tabernacle, it was there where God's presence where God would dwell with his people. That's why it was also called the tent of meeting. And so David heads to Nob, where the tabernacle is. Now remember, by this time, David is a, he's a famous general. He's a member of the king's court, Saul's right-hand man. And so when, when he rolls into town, and he's alone, and he's unarmed, Ahimelech knows that something's wrong. He knows that something's not right. What's going on here? Now maybe David is simply acting in fear. Maybe it's a calculated effort by David to absolve Ahimelech by keeping him in the dark. We don't know exactly why, but what we do know is that David lies to him. His answer to Ahimelech's question, I'm on a secret mission. A secret mission from the king. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So I can't tell you. Yes, David is a man after God's own heart, but he is also just a man. A man weak in faith, low in trust at times concerning God's care for him. A man just like you and me. Nevertheless, God provides here in the sanctuary. And he does so in two tangible ways. Through the bread and through a sword. As God had prescribed in Leviticus chapter 24, Verses five through nine. Each Sabbath in the tabernacle, 12 flat cakes of bread, hot and fresh, were placed on the golden table of the tabernacle in two stacks, two rows of six, for each, one for each tribe of Israel. And this was done because this was a, this was a silent witness to God's provision for his people. God's provision of manna from heaven in the midst of their need for bread. It was holy. It was not meant to be eaten by anyone other than the priests. But suddenly now, here stands David, the king to be, the anointed one of God, and he is in need of daily bread. So Ahimelech, the the priest serving in the tabernacle, he has a decision to make. Does he stick to the letter of the law or does he yield to human need? And what really is is a profound move, this minister of grace remembers that he is also called to be a minister of mercy and that David's need warrants an exception. Jesus himself will comment on this event in Matthew chapter 12, verses one through five. 
The disciples are walking through a grain field and they're plucking the heads of the grain and it's on the Sabbath. And the teachers of the law get on Jesus' case and Jesus says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so, Ahimelech gives David the bread. David eats. David is filled. And David's also equipped. Through another lie that he had to leave the king in such haste because of this secret mission, David acquires the sword of Goliath, which he himself had made famous. It was apparently kept there as a memorial to the victory. And now David has it back in his hands. So what does all this mean for us? Well, before I go there, just a little side note. There's a man lurking in the shadows. Verse 7 tells us about him. His name is Doeg. He's essentially the head of Saul's secret police. And he's watching all of this. We're going to return to him next week. I just didn't want you to miss that he's here. So what's the takeaway for us? From what David receives here in the sanctuary. Well, I think we can think about this in a couple different ways. First of all, we prayed the Lord's Prayer just a few minutes ago. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dependent upon God for the daily portion of everything that we need. We reminded our own hearts and we reminded one another that God is not removed from his people and their physical needs, but we are actually God's personal concern. Do you believe that? That you are God's personal concern? The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the ancient documents of our heritage, question and answer 125 says this, what does the fourth request mean? That is the fourth request of the Lord's Prayer. The answer is this, give us this day our daily bread means... Do take care of all of our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in creatures and to put our trust in you alone. It's a beautiful way to put the beautiful truth that we need to remember that God's provision is found in the sanctuary. And that's the other thing I want us to focus on. As we think about God's provision in the wilderness, I want you to think about what is found here in this place. You see, David's experience here reminded me of of Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. There, Asaph is wrestling with the prosperity and the success of the wicked that he sees all around him. 
And he writes this, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until what? Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You see, brothers and sisters, it is here in the dwelling place of God, in the sanctuary where unique perspective and sustenance is given to you, God's people. The takeaway is you're in the right place this morning. You're exactly where you need to be. From Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You need the bread of worship. You need the bread of fellowship. You need the bread of the Word, which is also called the sword of the Spirit. And here in the sanctuary, you too receive bread. You too receive a sword. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. Matthew 4.4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is provision for your journey. And you need the literal bread, which you'll eat soon. Now that's not to say that God's provision lies only here. In fact, when one thinks about how David, David talks about these companions who are coming to join him. And when one thinks about how David's eventual companions ate, how how did they eat? They ate because the anointed one was present. They ate because his presence gave them what they needed. And in the same way, Jesus' presence, the true anointed one, the Lord of the Sabbath, as he says in Matthew, present here in this place, present as you go from this place, always with you, abiding in you by his Spirit. Because of Jesus, you have all that you need. Brothers and sisters, give thanks for God's provision. Press into it. Make it increasingly yours. That's the first point from this passage. God's provision is found in the sanctuary. But it gets even more encouraging. It gets even more sustaining. The second truth is this. God's provision extends to our foolishness. God's provision extends to our foolishness. I've been hooked on a show recently. I don't watch a lot of shows, but 
I'm a sucker for reality shows, and one of you in this room got me hooked on a show called Alone. And it chronicles 12 people that are dropped in the middle of nowhere, that are invited to just survive off the land as long as they can, and they can tap out whenever they want. The last man or woman standing wins a half a million dollars. It's a pretty fun show. Well, recently, one participant in the season that I was watching, one one participant struggling with, with hypothermia made the decision to move his shelter in the middle of the pouring rain. It was like 40 degrees. And it was a decision that did him in because he got too weak, he got too cold, and he had to tap out. And one of the things that this show does is it puts these little things in the these little words or paragraphs in the, in the, uh, on the screen when something's happening, like hypothermia, hypo, hypothermia can cloud judgment <laughs> as this guy's moving his shelter in the rain. Hypothermia can cloud judgment, creating poor judgment. Here in our text, I don't think David was cold. I don't know what time of year it was. Maybe he was cold, but he sure made a curious decision, didn't he? What was he thinking? Was he just being courageous? Foolish? Did he think he wouldn't be recognized? One of those questions we'll have to ask good old David in the new heavens and the new earth. Because as we move into verse 10, of our account this morning, David rolls into Gath, the hometown of Goliath. He's just acquired Goliath's sword. It's hanging on his side. Wait a second, they say. Aren't aren't you? You are. You see, David quickly realizes that this wasn't a good move and his fear begins to grip him. So do the hands of the Philistines. And David is in trouble. And so what does David do? David acts like a crazy man. It's one of those crazy stories in the Bible. In a comical split-second decision, David starts to graffiti the gates. He starts to rant. He starts to drool like he's out of his mind. And it works. They let him go. Perhaps a foolish decision like his warranted a foolish kind of escape. But here's what I want you to see and notice from this little account and this little exchange in Gath. David himself confesses that this was the Lord's salvation, that this was the Lord's care for him. We know this because if you turn to Psalm 34 and you look at the title, it says this, a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now don't get hung up by Abimelech, that was just a title for Achish. When he changed his behavior so that he drove him out and he went away. And what does that psalm consist of? 
Phrases like this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then David writes Psalm 56. A mitcom of David when the, Phil- when the Philistines seized him in Gath. That's the title of that psalm. And here in this psalm we hear this. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. You have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. The point is this. As we get a glimpse of David's heart through these psalms, as we get a glimpse of what was going on in his head in this very episode, David is not thinking, boy, am I lucky that was close, nor is he thinking, wow, I'm glad I thought up that crazy deal, because that worked like a charm. No, David is recognizing that my God is for me, that my God is with me, that my God's provision extends even to my foolishness. Even decisions that I wish I hadn't made. Ever make a foolish decision that you instantly regretted? I have. Did you mistakenly think that you were out of God's reach as a result? No, you weren't. One more thing about God's provision before we close this morning. Not only is God's provision found in the sanctuary and extends to our foolishness, but God's provision comes through the promise. God's provision comes through the promise. Many of you in this room are entering a a new season of your life. It's a challenging season of care for your parents as they grow older. Maybe some of you in this room are those parents who are being cared for now by your children. As we move into chapter 22, David does something that resonates with with all of us, or at least should. He wants to make sure that his folks are safe. The price on his head has not only made him vulnerable, but Saul, of course, would go after his family as well. So his family joins him. Powerful friends in Israel are hard to find, and so where does David go for help to care for his folks? Well, interestingly enough, he goes to the Moabites, the enemies of the king. We read in 1 Samuel 14, 47, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab. So why would the king of Moab think about helping David? Well, perhaps he knew he was on the outs with with Saul. But I think there's another reason why the king of Moab might help David. 
Remember David's great-grandmother? Her name was Ruth. She was a Moabite. Could it be that all that Naomi and Ruth went through is now bearing fruit in one of their descendants some a hundred years later? You better believe it. A little Moabite blood in David's veins certainly isn't hurting. See, God is preserving his people through the line of promise, through all the twists and turns in their life. He is at work. And of course, there is a promise, promise with a capital P, still to come from this line, this line of Ruth, this line of David. And we see more of him here in the shadows. Right As David becomes this outcast, what happens to David in the beginning of, chapter, or the beginning of uh, this chapter, chapter 22? David becomes a magnet for the marginalized. Verse 2, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Sound like anybody else? So it will be in the life of his descendant Jesus, the harassed and the helpless, those at the end of their ropes, those sick and oppressed, those who have nowhere else to turn, those weary and heavy laden, they will come to Jesus, the true anointed one, and they will find rest. And this is the promise of our greatest provision, the person of Jesus. Oh, do you see the beauty of God's word? Brothers and sisters, in your wilderness, whatever it might be, your God is there. Your God will provide. Look to him. Rejoice in this this quiet preservation of a people through their daily bread in spite of their own foolishness and through the promise of one to come, the person of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this account of your servant David. We thank you for all the echoes and the shadows that we see of our Lord Jesus. The one who is our life the one who is the true bread from heaven, the one who is living water. Oh, Father, whatever your people are experiencing, whatever difficulty or trial they're going through, whatever wilderness wandering is part of this season of their lives, Holy Spirit, would you impress upon their hearts that you have not forgotten, but that you are providing. You are providing in ways that we can't even see, that we may never see. 
And yet we confess that you are at work for the good of those who love you, for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Oh, Father, thank you for such balm for our souls. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.